This is Security Download, your ultimate source for the latest developments in private security. Host Honor Redmond will bring you the inside scoop, groundbreaking trends, and exclusive interviews with leading experts in both residential and business security. Security Download is powered by Brav, delivering tech-forward, customer-service-focused private security. For today's guest, I am always so excited to chat with him. Um, he is just a wealth of information, an incredible storyteller. He spent 20 years as a street cop, and he chronicled those experiences in a book, When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. And you will have information about that in the show notes. I uh, strongly recommend reading it. I picked it up and basically did not put it down until I was on the last page. He is also a public speaker, a retired police officer now, an advocate for mental, physical, and emotional wellness. Um, and if he needs one more thing on his resume, he's an instructor for security forces through BSIS. Our guest today is Chris Hoyer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Excited to have you on the show, Chris. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Love our chats. So, As do I. So we're going to dive right in. Um, first question. Uh, obviously, this show really addresses the scope of security as it relates to private security. Um, and there are lots of people out there hiring, training private security forces, engaging them. Um, with the wealth of your experience, tell me, what are all these people doing wrong? I think it's a um, a global lack of awareness more than anything else. Um, it's a it's a it's a culture that needs to really be paid attention to, and a lot of people just don't understand what that actually means specifically. I know we'll get more detailed into what that actually looks like as we go along, but um, like I said, I think the the initial portion is a lack of awareness. So, lack of awareness as to what? Tell me more. Well, what their what the guards' abilities are, um, what they're capable of, um, what they can, what they can't do, their authority, these kinds of things, um, where where they can go, where they can't go, um, accessibility to um, like certain areas of buildings and vehicles, even the equipment they carry, their weapons and so forth, stuff like that. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about training as well. So. So, so that's a great point. And, you know, on my end, I've had the opportunity over the last year to have a lot of conversations with the people that are in the hiring seat that are engaging private security. Um, and you're right. I think I overwhelmingly hear that lack of clarity, even on the side of the people hiring, right? And there's this sense of, you know, well, I am hiring the security company, the security company should know, right? They're the experts. Um, and based on what you're saying, it sounds like there's this sort of like gray zone where where no one's really sure, right? Like the officers, the security officers don't have clarity. Um, and maybe those people hiring them don't have clarity either. So let's let's kind of flip the question. Um, you walk in to an office building, right? And you see they have whatever whatever security setup they have. They have a guy at the desk. Um probably a couple of people somewhere else around the building. What would you, you know, if, if you're engaged to give them additional training or to poke holes and find weakness, where do you go to first to kind of unearth these areas of improvement? 
Well, that's that's the loaded question. And the, the very first thing I think is the security forces generally are not paid very well, um, which of course creates a high turnover rate. So if you get people that are that are willing to to work for the kind of money that you're paying them, um, they're going to put out for you a little bit more. So I think that's a huge, huge push. And then of course, how do you find these people that are quality that are that are going to do the kind of job that you want them to do? Um, I've got example after example after example of guys that I've seen that are just doing things that they shouldn't be doing while they're in uniform. You know, um, give, give me a few examples of those. Well, I mean, I don't have the guy's name, and I don't. I'm sure. Don't no, no names. Hypothetical. Of course, right, right. I don't yep. know the company he works for, but um, when I was an instructor for for a private security company, this guy would sit out. He wasn't for our company; it was for another one. And he would sit out on a scoop, and he'd be on his phone, which I, I kind of have a problem with. First of all, because there's no reason why you should be on your phone when you're in uniform, uh, unless you happen to be in a secure place where it's, the public can't see you. Um, the biggest problem was that. And I, I tested this out because of, of my background and my critical incident survival stuff. Um, I would I would push a cart full of broken down boxes down to the to the lower level to throw them into the dumpster and stuff. And I, I tested the theory a couple of different times when I, I would watch him from the second I leave the door and he'd be on his phone the entire time and never look up to see who was approaching him. The second problem was that he had his gun sight exposed to to the public, if you will. So his gun sight is exposed to anybody that just happens to walk by. So I took it a step further and I walked really close to him and I had an open box cutter in my hand and not once did he ever look up to see who was approaching him. And I'm like, this is, that's a huge lack of training. It's extreme complacency and it's just a lack of awareness, all three combined, you know, so. That's insane. <laughs> and well, he was and armed. So presumably he was at a higher pay rate most likely yeah. and you know again he's in public view and yeah. you know what's so important on your phone that you're not paying attention to a guy walking past you with an open box cutter in his hand yeah. <laughs> that's a problem so, so so you've managed people you've trained people um and i agree i mean this thing that you're pointing out um someone just being less than fully engaged um not sharp not ready um, you know, that's a complaint that exists across the board um, from from people who hire security as well. Um, and, and to that end, I've, I've heard stories as well, and, and a lot of them were worse than what you've just described. Um, and, and these are, you know, and these are large companies that are hiring. This isn't just like a small one off. Um, how do you create an environment um where that doesn't happen. Talk to me about like what things you would implement, whether whether it's training or some sort of check-ins. Um, how do you start to weed that out? Well, I think first and foremost, whoever's hiring whatever security company that they decide they want to go with, they've got to have a very detailed list of responsibilities that they expect that guard or that officer to, to take part in. Um, as an example, if you happen to be the guy that's sitting at a desk watching a monitor, you need to pay attention to all those things on that monitor to see what's going on and then report that to either your other other guards that are there or your local law enforcement or whatever it is. So the, the list of responsibilities can be can be very vast or it can be just very simple. Your your job is to just secure the parking lot. Okay. 
you start with that and then it is it is hard because you know being a cop for 20 years i know that even even in the police force a lot of guys just don't take it seriously and that's a big problem so when you hire people they need to understand the responsibility that they've been they've been tasked with and their functions as guards or officers and they need to take what they're doing seriously because they are and I, I consider security, I don't care what your what your role is, you're still a first responder because you're the first pe- first person that people are going to see, particularly when you're in uniform. And so they need to take that role seriously and they need to pay attention to what's going on around them. Now, motivating them to get them to that point where they are able to do that, that's, that's a challenge, but that comes internally from, I, I would say from your managers to your instructors. Mm-hmm you know, in, in that role, though, the two of those combined need to get these guys where they need to be and let them, let them take it seriously. So. And you have a lot of experience as an instructor. Um, when you teach, what do you focus on that you think is absolutely mandatory for any security guard out there, whether they're armed or unarmed? Well, um, I'm obviously big on complacency, um, paying attention to your surroundings and, recognizing that you know as hard as it is to to take on board people are out there to try to hurt you sometimes and you need to pay attention to these things and recognize that your your number one goal besides taking care of your clients is going home every night it just is you know and I, what i remind my my trainees is don't forget why you're here you're not here just to stand on the side of the building and you know just hang around you're here as a representative of your security company and for your clients that you're that you're representing as well so um you need to take that very seriously because you don't know what's going to happen in in the drop of a you know a drop of a hat in a split second so um, i know it's kind of going off track just a little bit there but so no no that, that makes a ton of sense and you know, you, you have so many stories from your police career, from all the training that you've done. Um, can you share a story about a security guard that did something that was really meaningful and successful for the client, whether, you know, whether it was in a situation where genuinely something bad happened or maybe more on the customer service side? Um, what are some of the success stories that you've seen? Well, I've seen, I've seen several. Um, the one big one that hits me is a kid. He was actually one of my trainees. Um, he worked for another company up in um, somewhere around Northern California. I'm not exactly sure where, but he was basically there to guard a, a jewelry store. And he was armed, of course, and he was actually inside. And as it turned out, he just happened to be on lunch that particular day. And three armed robbers came in and tried to do a takedown robbery, which is actually a pretty big deal. And, and define define for us what a takedown robbery is. That's basically when two or three or four guys come in and they just they they overtake the entire store. Um, wow. They're putting people on the floor. You wow. know, they, somebody usually standing by the door to not let people in or let people out and so forth. They go in there and they just start smashing windows and and glass and just start taking everything that they want, throwing in bags or backpacks or whatever they've got. And they all they show up as a group and they usually typically leave as a group. Um. So this kid hears this kind of going on, and as he's coming outside the door, uh, he gets confronted with one of the robbers basically sticking a gun right in his face. And he's super cool, very well trained. Whoever trained this kid wasn't me because he was this alone before I got him. Very, very well trained, kept his cool, which is very hard to do, believe me when I tell you. Um, did everything that they told him to do. Um, 
And luckily the bad guy wasn't that sharp. And so when he basically laid the, laid the guard on the ground, took off his gun belt and laid it someplace else. Uh, and then he turned his back to the guard or to the officer. And in that, in that time frame, the guard was able to actually get his gun back and actually open fire on the guy as they start engaging in a gunfight. Um, the officer, the guard actually gets shot in the leg and actually stays in the fight, puts the guy down. Another guy comes around, he shoots that guy, puts him down. The third guy gets away. But if you watch, I've actually got the thing on video. If you watch it, um, the the tactics that this kid was trained in are are superior. I mean, this the same kind of stuff that I train people to do that I've done in my career are like, wow, this is this is pretty good stuff here. And um, I think he mostly saved the store from getting a huge loss, but his whole role was to protect the people that were behind him and the other office behind him. And that's exactly what he did, which was just completely awesome. So that's amazing. Yeah. And was he was he okay afterwards? Was he back to guarding? How badly was he injured? So that's a whole that's a whole two-day conversation of stuff okay. that I talk about. Okay. Cool. Um, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I can, I can touch on it. Um, surviving critical incidents, because clearly you've been in a gunfight, you've been shot, you've had to kill two people. I mean, on your watch. I mean, that's exactly yeah. what it was. And so how do you navigate through all that stuff? And he actually did a phenomenal job. And he, he stayed with the same company. He just happened to move to a different city. Um, he yeah. moved from wherever it was down to, down to San Diego, where I am. And stayed with the same company, was doing really good. And then he decided he wanted to promote, which is why he came to my company at the time. It wasn't my my personal. I just happened to work for these other guys. Um, and we talked about that in great detail about, you know, are you mentally and emotionally okay with what you did? And he was telling me all the all the steps that he took to to take care of himself, which were, again, that's a two-day conversation by itself. But yeah, he, he was doing really well. So Yeah, and you talk about that a lot in your book, right? That we have this image, I think, um, in society that, that this person goes in, does whatever they need to do, you know, even if that includes pulling a trigger and we don't really spend a lot of time on what happens after that. Right. And there's a whole mental health component to it. Very true. And, you know, there's, there's so many other factors that go along with that. Um, you know, he just, um, I think his wife was pregnant at the time, you know, so that's something he's thinking about. And, you know, he's, he's literally fighting for his life. Now this is on the extreme side of things. Sure. It's pretty rare that this happens. However, it did happen and he had to remind himself that, oh my goodness, I actually, I did have to go through this. I did survive it. And his company actually took pretty good care of him, which is another whole thing where a lot of people, um, when you have a major critical incident like that, they, they turn their back on their, their officer or their guard or whatever else, because now they feel like they're a liability. They don't want them anymore. And it's like, well, they're, they just saved your hide pretty much on some level you need to really take care of these people. So, yeah. And, and that's a key component of it as well. Um, so give me an example, because obviously I think that's, as, as you said, that's, that's extreme, amazing, uh, very heroic, um, but also not the bulk of what happens in private security. Right. I think, uh, you know, don't quote me on these stats, but I heard from someone who's been in the industry for years that across the U.S., roughly 70% of security guards are completely unarmed. Um, and then 30% have some form of arms, but not not all of that are, are guns, right? I think 20% of that is um, like a 
taser or pepper spray, and then sort of 10% of the 100% of security guards in the US do carry some sort of firearm. Um, so shifting gears and speaking to the sort of like 70% who are um, not in a jewelry store in a very safe location, whether that's or, you know, what we stereotypically think of as a safe location, maybe in a high rise office or um, in, in a very nice shopping area. Um, what are some of the success stories you've heard there, maybe less less on this uh, grand Hollywood scale, but even sort of small acts that have made a difference? Well, there was a, um, I was actually in the grocery store um, coming through, I think I told you the story the other day, and even though it technically wasn't security, it should have been, um, only because the uh, the officer that was working wasn't, wasn't present during the time, um, but it can easily be where it should be. And so I, I was walking past the uh, the customer service area and this lady was talking to the manager and she says, hey, there's some guy standing next to my car and I'm really scared about going out there. And the bad side of that was the the office guy, the uh, the grocery store manager guy was more leaning on the side of well, that's not my job. You know, why are you coming to me where he actually finally did? You know, because I actually got to the to the doors and I turned and I looked and they were actually walking out together, which I'm going, okay, well, if you don't, then I will kind of a thing. Um, in that kind of a case, it would have been very easy for him to call a security officer and say, hey, do me a favor, escort this lady to her car, which as a security officer, that's a very simple thing that you can do and you should be doing. It's very, very easy to do. It makes people feel really secure. Um, and, you know, as a police officer, I will tell you that I was never, I never felt degraded into helping somebody load their car with groceries or whatever it is and that's where a lot of these a lot of people you know in the security field feel like well that's not my job i don't need to do that well yeah but you're customer service that is your job you know make people feel safe and secure you know and if it's pushing their cart back to the to the store from their car for them you know who cares what's what's the big deal would you rather say i'm not that's not my job and how's that going to look in the public eye right so um Anyway, so they ended up walking to the car together. I was watching the whole time because I'm, you know, even though I've been retired for four years, I'm still, I still got that protector mentality. You know, so I'm watching this whole thing. And by the time they got to the car, the guy was already gone or whatever else. But the fact of the matter is, um, this guy made her feel safe and secure. And it doesn't have to be a guy that's got nothing to do with it or size or anything else. It's just, you know, you've got a second person, a second set of eyes to help you with whatever it is. So. Absolutely. No, and I think you've touched on a really important point there. And I think this is, in, in my estimation, a key difference um, between private security and, and other forms, right? Maybe the things that are publicly funded is that um, it is about customer service, right? And that is part of the job. And as much as you need to train people um, to be able to respond in an emergency and keep others safe and keep themselves safe, they're also tasked with this thing that sometimes can be harder, which is making people feel safe, right? And, and the feeling of safety can come from very different things. It can come from feeling that you're heard, that your needs are attended to, that as you said, there's someone to you know, help you load your car. Um, and so when you think about training sort of this, this ideal private security force, um, what else do you ask them and, and, you know, as I ask this question, I almost ask it on behalf of the listener who's hiring security, like what should be on that list of customer service stuff that, you know, for a fact makes people feel safe 
that you want your security guard to keep or officer to keep in the back of their minds and to look for opportunities to execute on? Well, the absolute, in my opinion, um, the number one first thing is got to be appearance. They've got to look squared away. Um, for me, that's just one of my biggest pet peeves when I see guys that just look sloppy. Um, maybe because they just don't know any better. They haven't been trained properly on how to how to set up their uniform to look good. Um, and again, unfortunately, the bad part is because they're not making a ton of money. They don't have the money to go have all the uniforms pressed and all this great stuff. But, you know, um, anyone of us can just go buy an iron. It's, it's not hard to do. Um, but it just drives me crazy when I see guys, you know, they've got like one shirt flap tucked in and the other one's kind of hanging out, you know, and they just they don't look professional whatsoever. And so for for that, I just I'm I'm not going to apologize when I say I just don't take those guys seriously because if you can't dress properly, how are you going to protect me? You know, and so that's that's the very first thing as far as the public view. As far as a hiring portion of that, um, these guys need to be mentally, physically, and emotionally trained to handle details. Because okay, on the mental side, you need to play, and this is getting into the into mm-hmm. meat potatoes and stuff. They got to play that what if game. They've got to say, okay, what if this guy comes at me with a knife? What if this lady? runs out of the store with a bag of groceries, you know, and they've got to have this going on all day long throughout their, throughout their shift. So they've got to be able to play out what could possibly go wrong or what could possibly go right. And how are they going to handle that? And then visualizing the win is a huge thing too. That That's a whole a long conversation that you and I can get into on the next podcast or however you want to do it. So um, the second thing is the physical training. You have to be physically fit to handle pretty much any situation that you that you get confronted with because that's what you're there for. Now, I'm not I'm not suggesting that you go into a situation that you can't handle. Now, mm-hmm. I know for a fact when I was on the street and I had two or three guys going against me, I know better than to do that because I'm going to get my clock cleaned. So I'm either going to start calling for more help or I'm going to be someplace else, you know? <laughs> you know. I mean, I say that jokingly, but yes, you're you're being paid to put yourself at risk, but you're not there to get get beat up and you know, lose limbs and get put in the hospital, all these kinds of things, you're pretty much a barrier between the good guys and the bad guys. Um, now, nobody's going to ask you to um, put yourself at such risk where you're going to risk like major injury. Okay. So the well, first- actually, I, I want to jump in there because I think this is, this is super interesting and very key. Um, and I think this is an area where some people on the hiring side really could use some clarity. So, so here's the question, right? Like say, say I'm a head of HR at a company and I'm hiring security. And let's say like in general, I feel like it's a pretty safe area, um, but we need security to mitigate our liability. And also because I want people to feel safe. Um, what guidance do I give them or do I not give them any guidance and assume the company will in terms of like when to intervene, how much should they intervene? Um, how do you kind of scope that out? Right. Because, because the sort of intervention grid for private security um, for a lot of reasons is very different than for, for a police officer. Um, you know, how do you train that and how do you help security guards think about that? Well, I would say that um, a big reminder is that we are more often than not going to be reactionary. Um, if we're going to engage a, the public or whatever that is, it's, it's usually going to be to help them with whatever it is. Little old lady falls with her cane. You're going to go help her get up. 
Um, if you've got a situation where it's, you know, I'm going to use an example like a soft target. Let's just say you happen to be working for Cole's department store. You're a security officer for Cole's department store. And you've got an, an armed robbery that comes in, takes place. Um, go back and going back to that what if game, how are you going to handle this? Are you going to just be a good witness or are you going to confront the guy, you know, while he's pointing a gun at somebody with his finger on the trigger? You know, these kinds of things. Um, so you need to be reactionary more than um, aggressively attacking certain situations. And I, I mean, that's a scenario based stuff that we can get into a, a really long thing. So um, this goes also back to the guidelines of the hiring agent, if you will. What do you expect these guys? What is their guideline? What do you want them to do? What do you not want them to do? If there's something going on, do you not want them engaging or do you just want them to be a good witness again? You know, um, do you want them to be armed and start, you know, engaging with with bad guys if they need to in a, in a gunfight? Or do you want them to just to say, OK, I'm just going to I'm going to lock this thing down. I'm just going to get everybody secure and then we'll catch these guys later. Those, those are those are hard questions that only the client will know. And that's going to obviously depend on. Uh, the environment, the, the building that they're in, uh, where they happen to be, you know, how many officers they actually have on staff at any given time. Uh, it's, it's, it's an unending question. So. <laughs> and how, and how do you, let's say you're advising the client, um, how do you give the client the pros and cons of each of those? Right. Because I think there's, you know, the, the armed robbery, I think I'll knock on, what does I say this fair, fairly rare, um, but what is very common is someone comes in and you're just not sure, right? Like maybe it's a high rise building. Someone walks in off the street and they're acting kind of erratically. And the client, let's say, let's say there's a receptionist and also a security guard. The receptionist is feeling nervous. She's not sure, right? It could be someone walks in, acts erratically, leaves, nothing happens. Or it could be someone walks in, acts erratically, God forbid they have a knife or they're trying to get someone, you know, alone in a bathroom or or whatever else. Um, how do you how do you guide the client to come up with um, a set of reaction guidelines for that sort of thing? Are there specific triggers that you look at? Um, talk me through a scenario like that. I would say it it kind of boils down to expectations. Um, again, what do you expect your guy to do? Um, You've also got to have people, and I was talking about being being non-complacent. If you've got a guy that's on his phone and you got the guy that walks in and starts harassing the the receptionist, how much time have you got, you know, between when you when you finally figure out what's going on, you get off your phone and you see what's going on over there. So you need to have people that are going to pay attention for starters. And you've got to have people, it sounds kind of crazy, but you got to have people that are courageous enough to confront people. Mm -hmm. that's not an easy task either so um if this guy is, is up in the receptionist's face whatever it happens to be armed or unarmed that security officer needs to be that barrier to protect that receptionist or the people coming off the elevator or um you know if you're if you're guarding a parking lot you know and you see you know a guy in a in a beat up kind of looking car and he's approaching people you know in his car or even on foot um, you need to pay attention. This guy parked over here and now he's on the other side of the parking lot. Why is he over here? You know, and he's just kind of walking around. Um, being able to be um, 
I don't want to say confrontational, but you need to be able to get, you know, in people's business, if you will, and find out why are you here, you know? And again, that goes back to expectations. Do you want your guards doing that? Or do you want them just to, you know, say, Hey, you know what? No offense, but the cops get paid to get shot at, let those guys come out and handle this, which is okay. I mean, that's not a, not a problem. Um, and it's, it's going to, it's going to boil down to liability as well. You know, how much liability are you going to put on your own security officer and your, and yourself? Um, and keeping in mind also, what, if, what happens if you don't react or you don't act on a situation? That's another, another key question. And this goes back to your expectations of what do you expect your officer to do? You know, so. No, that's true. Right. Because it goes both ways. Um, certainly, the you know i remember talking to a restaurant that at some point said oh you know it's, it's so frustrating the experience we've had with security is either they do nothing when you want them to do something or they're going out there pepper spraying everyone and it's it's a little bit of a of an over exaggeration and certainly something that um you know my company brav got into the industry to fix but but you're right i think that a lot of that comes from poor guidance right I think also a lack of quality training. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to get a guy just trained up to, you know, be on the radio or whatever it happens to be something, some of the smaller stuff, but when it comes time to actual like physical training, um, they need to know what their capabilities are, mm -hmm. you know, um, what they can do, what they can't do. Um, like with me, I know it's way on the on the other side of the fence here, of course, but I know that um, when I was carrying my rifle, I was 100% spot on with the gun. I had no issues with my handgun, not so much. I knew my, my capabilities weren't that great with that with that weapon system because I didn't train on it enough. Mm. I spent more time on the rifle. So you got to have folks that are well rounded and realize that, hey, I'm not I'm not a Krav Maga freaking you know John Wick type guy. I'm not going to go hands on with this guy because I know seeing what he's doing that I'm probably going to lose, you know, and then uh, another whole and entire conversation is, is going to boil down to resources. Mm -hmm. And how many people do you have that you can, that you can call for help? Um, are you, are you tapped into the police radio system? You know, do you have 911, you know, set up some kind of a way on your phone, you know, you just, you know, Hey Siri kind of a thing or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Um, which whenever I do that, mine goes off. So I try to avoid that. Um, <laughs> so you just called the police right now. They're about to show up. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've had that happen before. My, one of my classrooms, I, I said that, and there was like 14 911 calls. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Oh so. my gosh. Then yeah, you got a bill for it. But actually, you said something interesting. So going back to that, um, you said if you're tapped into the police system. So one of the, I think, interesting components that it's it is really important to get right is how your private security interacts with and utilizes the public security services, right? The police. Um, so now you having been on both sides of that fence, um, what's your recommendation for private security officers and also for the people hiring them? Um, how do they build a good and productive relationship with the police force and how do they learn about all the resources that are available um and one example of that and i'll throw that out for both of us as a starting point is um before i began working on brav i did not realize how many mental health resources were available at least in los angeles um especially you know even to like small business owners that maybe see someone that is 
out on the street or trying to come into their store who actually is having a mental health issue. Um, and they have resources available to them that are public that they can call and get help dealing with that. Um, so, so that's certainly one example. What are, what are some other things that we should all be thinking about in terms of this, um, you know, dynamic relationship between private security and the police or other resources? That's a, that's a great question. That's actually, a, in my opinion, of course, that's a culture question where now what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a big shift in the security forces world where guys are getting more trained up better than they ever have before, which it was really good because unfortunately a lot of, a lot of police, they don't take security officers that seriously because like, well, you know, if you want to, you know, carry a gun and a badge, why don't you join the force? And that's whatever. I mean, who cares? That, that makes no difference. As far as I'm concerned, you're still a first responder. You're out there wearing a badge and a gun. Um, and wearing carrying a bulletproof vest on your body, you're a first responder. You know, I don't care if you're working security, police, your Navy SEAL, whatever it is. So, um, so I think the the culture has started to shift a little bit to where now, since guys are getting more better trained, um, when police officers show up to a scene, more often than not, the the, high, the higher trained security officers have secured that scene properly, and now they can let the let the investigators take over. So that's a huge thing there. Um, the other thing is that when you have a lower uh, pay culture, if you will, mm -hmm. um, a lot of guys don't take the job seriously. They're like, well, I'm making eight bucks an hour. I'm not going to put myself out there for this. Um, whereas you got a guy making 20 bucks an hour. He may take it a little bit more seriously, take on more training on his own because he realizes or she realizes the importance of what they're actually doing. Um, and when you have those more highly skilled trained people, when when the two worlds combine, um, it's it's a much easier thing where I can say, if I have if I end up on a scene, God forbid, it's you know, and I, I go always back to the worst of the worst, you know, like a takedown robbery or whatever else, and I've got a guy like my my kid I was talking about, and I know he's squared away. I don't mind letting him take the lead on a, you know, if we had to go search for a bad guy, or whatever else, uh, versus I show up and I've got the guy that's you know he's wearing shorts. You know, he's got his uniform, very unkempt, you know, and everybody else. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to trust you to watch my back because you're obviously not taking this very seriously. So I know that's going kind of off track a little bit, but so. No, no, it's good. That, that reinforces the other point you made, which is that appearance matters, right? Well, you know, appearance and then, you know, we we sometimes, you know, we, we kind of tease some of the security guys because they want to they want to impress us as police officers. And I mean, for me, I don't, I don't care. Again, you're a first responder. Um, so you get a lot of these guys that, you know, they want to be more than what they are, you know, if that makes sense. And believe me, I'll tell you, when I was on the street, I knew that I wasn't a SWAT guy. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a SWAT guy because I'm not, I'm not trained to do what they do. If you're a security officer, you've got a certain amount of training, but you don't have all the training that police actually do. Don't act like that's what you are because uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You're just not. It doesn't necessarily mean you're not a good dude or you don't have good training, but you don't have all of the stuff, all the tools and the resources that police actually have. So when when police officers actually show up and they and they converge with security, it just needs to be, you know, one of those things where we're all going to work together. We don't need to, you know, have a, you know, who's a tougher guy kind of a contest, especially with, with the first responder community, because that's a lot of what you see. 
It's hmm. like, look, we've got a job to do. Let's solve this this particular problem, and then we can figure out the rest from there. So that makes a lot of sense. And and, and from a resources perspective, um, you know, let's say I'm the small business owner or head of HR at a company or a restaurant manager. What do I want to think about or tee up or make sure that my security resources have available to them before anything happens? Is it, you know, is it as simple as like a list of numbers of what's local? Do we have any sort of conversations with the police ahead of time? Um, especially if we're having something recurring, like let's say, uh, you know, we're a restaurant and this is, you know, this is all stuff that's actively going on in LA. We're a restaurant that continuously you know, gets people that that are uh, unhoused who are who are in very close proximity to our restaurant, and maybe some of them are perfectly fine. Some of them are behaving in ways that maybe make me and and my clients a little nervous. Do I want to open up the dialogue about that with either the police or another resource? Um, what what's your best advice there? You brought up probably the best point of all is having a, a list of phone numbers right there ready okay. to go. Um, like as an example, when I was working in Arizona, uh, we had a place called Community Bridges. Mm-hmm. And we call those guys up, hey, we got this guy over here. He's whatever his situation is, they'll come out and they will, um, assuming that it's all the scene is secure, if you will, they'll come out and talk to the guy. And more often than not, they'll voluntarily go with him. Problem solved. Um, a perfect resource. Um, unfortunately, um, a lot of resources can just come down to money. Now, it can be anything from like this, the last company I was working for, they actually had cars and and dogs. They actually had canines that would be out on whatever kind of a scene they happen to be on or what have you. Um, do you want to spend the kind of money to have a canine handler? Because that's, that's lots and lots of money to have that. And do you need that kind of a resource? Um, again, the, the simple one, can you patch into the police frequency because if you're on the, if you like say, worst case, you're on the ground rolling around with the bad guy and you're trying to get out on the radio, but nobody can hear you because you're the only guy working. Do you mm-hmm. have a way to switch over and switch to the police, to, to police plan? Um, so that's an, that's a really easy one. And then again, do you have other, um, other people that are working with you or around you or whatever? Um, and have you collaborated with the surrounding businesses? That's another big one where, Hey, this is going on. Um, can you send, cause I know like, you know, build a dishwasher is a big guy. If it'd be okay until we get more resources, my security guys by himself, would you mind sending him out to help him? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It, it all kind of goes back to the community of we're all in this together, especially when you've got like a strip mall type business, mm-hmm. you guys are all in there together. You're all paying rent together. Let's protect this thing together. Um, and the biggest one, of course, is personal resources. Like, what have you got on your body? Are you going to supply these guys with ballistic vests? And not just, you know, some, you know, run-of-the-mill, whatever, cheapy thing that you can find on on Amazon. You're actually going to get these guys schooled up, fitted with the proper vest, you know, plates, all these other things that you may or may not need, depending on if they're armed. Um, uniforms, again, I, I keep hitting on that, but, you know, making sure the uniform squared away, their shoes are shined or whatever their protocol is, wherever they happen to be. Um, and if you're going to arm people with pepper spray, batons, um, firearms, whatever else, they have to be properly trained because I can tell you that as an instructor, I see guys coming through and first things first, they don't take it seriously. Second thing is they've been poorly trained by somebody else. 
and now they come to me and they want to get properly trained and I've got to undo all this over here and then kind of get them in the right direction. So that's a, that's a huge thing as well too. So. That's, that's a great point. So, so in terms of training, um, what do you think is most critical for a security guard? And let's start with, you know, obviously the firearms training is, is a whole separate thing. Um, you know, as, as we've noted, not a lot of security guards are armed. So let's address the portion that's unarmed. Um, what's the most critical thing? Awareness, by far the awareness um, and no complacency whatsoever. You you just flat out can't be complacent. And I know I keep going back to that, but if you're not paying attention to what's going on around you and you got a guy walking past you with a box cutter and he's a bad guy and you're you're that one barrier between you know, keeping that company safe and, and this, and this bad person, that's your job. That's what you're there for. That's what you're getting paid for. Mm-hmm. You know, seriously, you know, so that's, those, that's a crazy story, by the way, I, this I wasn't just a one time thing. This was like almost every day. I mean, every single morning, cause when I'd come in and I, we'd have all of our, all of our gear that showed mm-hmm. up, I'd take it all out and, and inventory it, whatever else I'd have all these boxes left over. So every single morning, that was part of what I did before my classes started. Mm-hmm. I'd see this guy and he probably worked third shift. He'd probably show up at, you know, two or two or three in the morning and work till 10 or whatever his shift was. And so his break was right around the same time when I would finish up my first stuff before my class started. And that's where he just uh, decided to kind of take his break, which is fine. I mean, obviously we're, we're human, we're organic people. We have to take breaks from time to time. And I highly encourage that. However, you're right outside of a, a five-star hotel. Why don't you just go into the lobby you know, and sit in the back corner, eat your banana, get on your phone for your 15 minutes or whatever it is versus being out there in the public view where people, you know, a lot of high-end people are coming through there and seeing what you're doing, which is nothing. You know, I mean, you just can't do that. So, um. so, so there's the awareness piece, which by the way, how do you train that? Because I, I hear you saying it. And I think, you know, if I were in that boat, I'd be like, okay, stay aware, stay aware. Um, but is, some, is there something that you can do that actually teaches that well that's that's very hard to do it's very very hard it's it's more of a um an instinctual thing you know um my girlfriend and i drive around and it drives her crazy because i'll say did you see that and she's like i don't i don't see anything i'm like well there's a drug deal going down over here or this guy's getting ready to do a whatever over here kind of thing she's like how do you how do you know and i said well this is this is training here's the problem with security forces um and what I explained to my, my, I call them my kids, but they're just students, you know, um, it took me almost a year to get hired on, you know, four months of the Academy, five weeks of post Academy, uh, four months of field training, and then probably another year on the street before I was comfortable actually being a police officer, you know, feeling like I had most of the tools that I needed to do that job. Generally speaking, the, the class that I taught, I had these kids for three days, you know, wow. What can I teach you in three days, you know? And so one of the big elements is um, that awareness training is where literally all you're doing is just paying attention to what's going on, you know, and you see something and it gets, it gets a little bit confusing because you got to be really careful about getting locked on to one particular target because mm-hmm. you might see something going on and that's a distraction because what's really going on is over here. Mm-hmm. Got to have that, you know, because we can't do 360. I wish we could. We got that 270 degree coverage in front of you that you can see everything you need to see and paying attention to the smaller details of things, you know, like the guy that, you know, you can tell that something's just not right, 
and you go with your instinct, you're like, oh, I'm just going to keep an eye on this guy. Just even from just a distance, you watch the guy park way off to the side and then all of a sudden he's going in between all the cars. That's something you need to pay attention to, you know, or the guy that's, let's say, get back to the Coles shopping center store. You see the guy that walks in, it's summertime, he's wearing an overcoat, like Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or the guy that's just kind of walking around in circles, you know, and he keeps, you know, every time he looks at a, like a clothing rack, he's looking around, you know, that's just something you want to pay attention to, you know, and you don't necessarily have to do anything, but having that good presence um, with your uniform officer presence with your, mm -hmm. with your skills and these kinds of things, you just walk over and you just stand there. Yep. Make the guy uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, if you think something's going on and again, this goes back to your expectations of what you expect from your officers. Um, you walk over there and just kind of stand, stand to where the guy can see you. It doesn't have to be like up in his face. You can be, you know, two or three rows over or whatever else. And the guy sees you, but give him some pause and be like, oh, okay, this guy's paying attention to me. I need to, I need to beat feet. But if you're doing this, are you going to see that you're on your phone? You're not going to see any of that kind of stuff. So. And I think that's actually also a really great example of clarity of guidance too. I, I remember having a conversation with a security professional around that example, by the way, around like how he would react if someone in a huge trench coat uh, off weather came into to a store, to a coffee shop. And I remember he basically said, and this stuck with me, he was like, you know, you need to know what you're allowed to do and what you're not and what the store wants you to do. And he was like, you know, one way to handle it is you intervene, you go over, you maybe talk to the guy. And then if it's a regular person, maybe it's maybe it's a movie star who wants to be incognito or something has something has happened, then you need to know the store has your back and you can be like, hey, buddy, here, have a cappuccino on the house. Sorry, just doing my job. Didn't mean to bother you. Um, but from his perspective, it was like, you know, that the store or the cafe or the restaurant wants you to do that and encourages you to do that and then supports you then saying hey you know here's a here's a free ice cream or a free cappuccino or whatever i you know totally my bad um so so to that point um i'm curious to hear from you i think the thing that we haven't really touched on and i think this is something that people who used to be officers um or police officers and who work in security that the best ones do this very naturally and that's kind of like figure out how to feel out a situation, um, de-escalate as necessary, calm people down. Um, what do you teach your students to do verbally or maybe even from a body language perspective that that both de-escalates and also kind of signals, hey, I'm confident, I'm brave, I've got this. And if you know if you're thinking about trying something, this isn't a good time or day or place for it um i'm gonna rewind just for a second if i may sure. um, you, we were talking about um, what they can and can't do that that kind of sparked a thing about legality you've got to know what your legal parameters are what can you what can't you do um and that's, that's going to boil down to whatever city you happen to be working in or whatever else because i know that um here in california which is very strange to me um if somebody just comes in your house, you're not allowed to just open fire on them just because they come in your house. Um, in Arizona, a lot of other places, they have what they call the castle doctrine. Um, it changes a little bit from every every state, every city. Every It's all a little bit, diff little bit different. Um, so you've got to know what your legal parameters are, what you can and can't do. Because if you all of a sudden put this guy in handcuffs, 
without probable cause or re at least reasonable suspicion, we call it, um, you can be jammed up for that. And you're the, the client's going to be the one paying out for that more than likely and or the security company. So um, one other thing, and I'll, and I'll get to your question, I promise, um, is security officers and police, you need to realize also that um, you can be one of three things. You can be a punching bag, you can be an ear, or you can be a shoulder. And that's part of the job. You need to recognize that, that you walk in there and because you mentioned, you know, could be the movie star, you start talking to this guy and they start, ah, you know, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't realize who you were. And now it's like, you know, eh, this, this, and okay. You pretty much just have to stand there and take it. Okay. You know, I, I apologize. I wasn't intending to, to make you uncomfortable, whatever else. And you're going to get, you're going to get screamed at for a while. Okay. Just take it, be professional. That's the best thing you can do. Just be professional. Take it. Okay move on, let them, let them say their piece. You've now become the punching bag for a while. Um, you don't know what kind of day they're having and you might've just caught them on the wrong day. You know, Very any, true. Other, any other time of the week, they could be perfectly normal people. You just happen to catch them at the wrong time. And okay, so be it, move on. Um, also the, the shoulder thing, you might catch somebody shoplifting, you know, in the, in the process and realize that they're just, they happen to be in a really bad situation and they may just fall down crying. It could be a diversion. It could be because they're really upset, whatever else. Um, so you just got to think about these kinds of things. Um, or you just need, might have a, an ear. You know, some guys just want to talk a lot like me. You know, which way back. <laughs> um, you might just have somebody that, you know, again, you got to be got to be vigilant and you got to be aware of your surroundings where this guy just might want to be having a conversation with you to distract you from what's going on over here. Mm. He just happens to be a nice guy and just, hey, man, hey, I'm, I'm not thinking about getting in the security field. You know, tell me about it. What can I do? Kind of a thing. Okay. And just engage in a conversation. Um, so back to your original question. So, um, which of course now I flaked on whatever that was. So go ahead again. Um, sure, sure. I'll prompt you. I mean, really it's about de-escalation, but verbal de-escalation. So like I, I have been most impressed when I see a security professional go in and take a situation that looks like it's dicey. And then suddenly it sort of like fizzles and you're like, Whoa, that was magic. Like, how did that happen? So, so tell us about that magic. That's also a, uh, a skill and it's a very perishable skill as well. Just like shooting is very, very, you know, if you don't shoot enough, it's the skills just going to go away. Um, this is what I would tell what I learned luckily very early on. And I did. And I tell all my, my students, if you're out there in the public view, um, no matter what you're doing, you are a negotiator. That's what you do. You negotiate with this person, you negotiate a, a scene, whatever it happens to be. Um, I highly recommend, I'm not saying try to be, you know, going to SWAT school and all this great stuff, but if you can find some kind of quality SWAT negotiator course mm. where they teach you how to talk to people, it's huge. And it doesn't have to be to that extreme. And I go, I mean, because we're we're in the public view, I go to the highest level of training that I can get to, which for for our community is probably going to be SWAT interrogation stuff. Yeah, or SWAT negotiator. Or, I mean, it doesn't have to be interrogation. That was that was the wrong word. My apologies. Um, but if you get into some kind of negotiation, you know, tactics with people, it's it's pretty easy to talk people down if you just do the right things, say the right things. Um, and I'm not going to get into the whole into the whys of why that works. But it does. It just simply, and that's what you're there to do, to talk people out of whatever it is they've got going on or talk them into 
you know, talk them into handcuffs or talk them into the back of a patrol car. I'm going to stop you there. I need the story on talk them into handcuffs. How do you do that? Well, I, I was, I was fortunate that I never, I never lost a fight, but that was mostly because of this, because I mean, these, these worked when I needed them to, but that was absolutely as possibly last resort as I could make it. That's what it would be. And I would just talk them. Hey, look, man, I can't apologize. You you did a crime. Um, I've got to secure you. Here's the thing about being put in handcuffs that I tell people all the time. They come off as quickly as they go on. But until you're secure and you're safe, I'm not safe. And that makes me very nervous or whatever the word is you want to use. Um, say, look, let me put the handcuffs on you for now. Once we figure out what's going on, um, then I can, I can let them take them back off or whatever else. Now that goes into a whole nother tactical situation where you want to make sure you always have somebody there to help back you up. If you're going to go hands-on with somebody, especially doing handcuffing, um, you got somebody there to help you out. Cause I can't tell you how many times I, I think I'm doing really well talking to a guy into cuffs and all of a sudden the fight's on, you know, it's like, uh, because that's the first thing that happens um, after you start negotiating with somebody is they start realizing that their freedom is going to probably be in jeopardy. And it's like, Oh, okay. And then especially when you get the, the little magic bracelets come out, they know for sure that their, their freedom is being, you know, being taken away from them. So that's a big, that's a big thing. So. I love that line. They go on as quick. What was it? They go on as quickly as they come off. Come off as quickly as they quickly, go on. They, that's right. Reverse. They come off as quickly as they go on. Um, and obviously there, there's a whole different set of legal parameters when private security can and should handcuff someone. But I would imagine, you know, the same thing applies there. Um, and that, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but that is going to boil down to articulation hundred percent of the time. How do you articulate why you did what you did? And that's going to go for any kind of a, a confrontation they may or may not get themselves involved with. So yeah. Okay. Yep. No, that makes sense. That's fantastic. Um, so we, we don't have a ton of time left. I feel like we could do like another three hours of just talking to you. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I wanted to ask my, my last question. And then if we have a few minutes, maybe I wanted to circle back to anything that we may have missed. Um, but tell us about big trends. Like, are there any big shifts or changes that you see coming down the pipe for private security? Um, whether, whether those are technology or sort of mindset changes, um, what are you seeing now that's new or different? I think, um, I think there's a, a big influx in bringing in private security because they realize that the law enforcement community, um, there's a lot of awareness with, with burnout and uh, post-traumatic stress from critical incidents and all these kinds of things. So they figure that, well, we can bring in security officers and they're, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it out loud. They're easier to deal with than the cops yeah. more often than not uh, for a couple of different types of reasons. And so there is a big push to bring more private security in and less public service, if you will. Um, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, it sounds horrible to say it this way. I've got several of my friends that are back in, back in Arizona where I used to work that they're like, I'm, I'm going to do the very bare minimum that I got to do. And it's, it's, that's a trend. As a police officer. Exactly. Because they officer. are, they're not being taken care of by the public. They're not being taken care of by their agency. And I'm going, oh, but that's not why you're here, you know? And even though it's a, it's a little bit of a different, um, different world, if you will, mm -hmm. what I tell people is when you were getting hired, 
what is one of the, one of the major things that you told your background investigator or the peer person hiring you? I'll do whatever it takes. Well, you know, this is what it takes to to take the bad with the good. And you're not there to, you know, have barbecues and, and sell cotton candy. You're there because people are having a bad day more often than not. Um, and people seem to forget that sometimes. It's like, look, you know, you're you're getting paid to do a job that you volunteered to do. Now, I'm not saying you volunteered to get hurt and everything else, but you're there as a professional and you need to maintain that professionalism and do the job that you're asked to do. You know, and if you don't want to, then go someplace else. You know, it's just what I tell them. So that makes a lot of sense. And so when you say you see more private security being brought in, um, is that is that by governments actually bringing in private security? I think it's more, more the private sector, like very much Contracts. like we Okay. Yeah. So so just more private companies are starting to incorporate private security. Because uh, they they can they can we use a word like fill and flow because they can hire a whole lot of security officers mm-hmm. and those guys are going to be there exclusively for them versus yep. they call the cops and they've got a, you know, I know like with San Diego um, last year, when we we're doing some stats on that. They had like a 15 minute response time. 15 minutes is forever. I mean, by the time the cops even show up, if they even do, because it's got to be a high priority these days for a lot of officers to show up. And I'm not, I'm not generalizing by any stretch, mm-hmm. but 15 minutes, it's, it's going to be long and over with, you know, and now you're just basically calling for a report where you've got a guy that's there that can mm-hmm. handle it, man. let him handle it, you know, so. Yeah. And, and, you know, 15 minutes, like, like I've heard worse. I've heard of people, you know, obviously maybe not at the, at the highest level of need, but calling and getting, you know, a response time within hours. So yeah. for, for sure that resonates. Um, this has been this has been fantastic, super interesting. So grateful as always for you to share your insights and your thoughts. Um, anything else that you know? Obviously, we haven't talked about a ton of things, but um, as we close out, any final thoughts? Anything we haven't touched on? I know we went through a set of uh, questions to prep, and I'm, I'm sure that I've left one or two of those off. Of course, right? No, I think um, I think it's, it's a very important entity that we have security out there, and they need to be recognized for what they do, you know, and be taken care of as well. And I think that's a huge thing because um, the police officers aren't being taken care of properly and security officers are in the exact same situation. They're dealing with a lot more stuff than people give them credit for. And they're just being turned away. They're like, well, you're just, just security guard. Why do we care? Well, that's a bunch of crap because they're, they're being hired to do a very important, dangerous job that most people are unwilling to do so again we need to take care of them so unwilling and unable yeah i I think that's that's a really important point that it's those are not shoes that everyone can fill only certain people are able to absolutely and you know and when you've got guys that are willing to do that um they need to be held to a not only a higher standard professionally Mm -hmm. but to you know a little bit more compassion for what they put themselves through and their families you know so Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Um, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing on today's show. Um, We're excited to have you back at some point. Um, And all of the information about Chris will be available in the show notes, including his wonderful book, which I encourage everyone to get a copy of and read. Thanks so much, Chris. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. That was wonderful. And thank you, listeners. 
If you learned something today, I hope you share it with someone else or better yet, tell them about this podcast. Thank you, Chris Hoyer. It was a pleasure having you and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And that wraps up another episode of Security Download. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at securitydownload.live and be sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. 